Hey, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Romans. We'll be looking at Romans chapter 5. It's great to see. Wasn't that special? Man, that was so sweet. My wife said, man, everybody's here so early today that we need to do a choir, a kid's choir every week. <laughs> uh, glad you're here. Uh, as Corey just shared with us, um, over the summer, we started a series titled Christianity 101, and we've been looking at various Christian doctrines and beliefs. And uh, this morning, we're going to conclude our study in Christianity 101, and we are looking at the doctrine of justification by faith. The central question that this doctrine is wrestling with, and I want us to wrestle with it this morning, is this, how can I be free from guilt when I stand before God? The day will come when we will stand before the Lord, and how is it possible for us to have this guilt removed from us? Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, said that this doctrine, the doctrine of justification by faith, is the article upon which the church stands or falls. He also said this about the doctrine of justification, that it is the head and cornerstone. It alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church of God and without it, the church of God cannot exist for one hour. It's an important doctrine that is at the core of what the gospel is. It is essential to the gospel. And what the doctrine of justification by faith says is that we are saved or justified, made right before a holy God by faith alone in Jesus. That is how we are justified. Why don't we consider this morning, looking at Romans chapter 5, the first two verses. If you're ready to go, say, I'm there. This is God's word. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we worship you, Lord. Lord, because you are so good to us, and in a world that is constantly changing, Lord, you remain the same. And Lord, you have been so good and faithful to us. Lord, you are faithful even when we are not faithful, and we, we thank you for that. And God, we thank you for the blessing 
that it is for us to get to gather this morning as a church family to hear your word, to be encouraged and equipped and built up. Lord, we confess that we frequently miss the mark. We confess this morning, Lord, that we often love the things of the world more than we love you. We confess this morning that so often our hearts are prone to wonder, to chase other things. We have not loved you as we should, and we confess that to you. God, we pray for our time together, praying that your word would be so clear to us, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, we believe with confidence that your word is living and active and has the ability to cut us to the heart. And so we pray and we trust that you would speak to us this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. As people said, There are three truths that I want us to see this morning as we consider Romans 5 and various other passages. The three truths that I want us to see is, number one, our need for justification. The second truth I want us to see is the essence of justification by faith. And number three, the results of justification. The three truths I want us to consider. Our need for justification, the essence of justification by faith, and the result of justification. I want you to just kind of keep, keep your Bible there where it's at in Romans, but I want you to consider with me a few passages that provide some helpful context as we look into this topic. I want you to consider what God's Word tells us in Exodus chapter 34 Verses 6 and 7. God is talking to Moses and he is describing to him who he is, his character. And listen to how God describes himself. The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, isn't that good? And abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving the iniquity and transgression. But will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. They sound like conflicting realities, does it not? Our God is, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in steadfast love, but who will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Do you feel the tension? Merciful God, a God of justice. There's a problem that we have to feel, there's tension that we have to feel, because what that verse is saying is that God forgives 
all kinds and types of sin. But Exodus 34 also tells us that God will also judge all kinds and types of sin. What Exodus 34 opens the door to us to see is the reality of God's just judgment against sin. God is going to judge the world because of sin. Look at this second passage. This is Acts 17. We have it on the screen. Listen to this because it, it reinforces what we read in Exodus 34. Acts 17, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That is Jesus. There is a day coming. Notice how it reads in Acts 17. It is a fixed day. You can be sure of it that it will come. Where God will judge the world for sin. And so the question that we must ask ourselves is how can we be made right before a holy God? If this fixed day is coming, what is it that we need to do to prepare ourselves for that day of judgment? Some years ago, I was leading a Bible study at a community college there in the Dallas area. I remember having a group of young men that I was meeting with and I asked them this question, what do you need to do to enter heaven? What do you need to do to have your sins forgiven so that you could one day spend eternity with God? And I remember this young man looked at me very confidently and said, well, Jonathan, as long as my good deed outweigh my bad deeds, then I'm going to be good. As long as I get to heaven was one someday, he said just like this, and as long as, man, my good deeds outweighed my bad deeds, then that's what it takes. And there are many who would embrace that. So here we are, we're in Romans chapter 5, and how does our verse begin in verse 1 of chapter 5? What's the first word there? Romans 5 verse 1. What does it say? Can we say it a little louder? Therefore. Anytime you read therefore in the Bible, you always got to double check why is that therefore. What Paul has been doing is building an argument that all have sinned. And that abiding by the law is not what's going to grant you access to God. Look at what he says. If you just flip over the page, look at Romans 
chapter 3, verse 9, Paul tells them, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. I stumbled over those, those words because I, I, I'd never seen that before, under sin. What an interesting way to say it. But that is the reality for every human being, man or woman, boy or girl, is we are born under sin. We are slaves to it imprisoned by it. Sin is our master. When I was a little boy, there was a Target right by our house. I loved going with my mom grocery shopping. I must have been about five years old or so. My mom had gotten some stuff at the store and, and we're checking out And I noticed, you know, what do they always have? Kids, what do they always have when you're checking out of the grocery store? What's always looking right at you? Candy, yeah? I see all the candy. But you know what I didn't have? I didn't have money. And I looked to my mom, and my mom was busy looking at her purse, and I looked at the cash register lady, And she was busy checking the items, and the thought came to my head. You know what I could do? Nobody's watching me right now. I could just take this candy, put it in my pocket, and no one would know. Thankfully, I I didn't do that, but that was a thought that was going through my head. And so we drove home, and I went up to my dad. I said, Dad, hey, guess what, Dad Pops? You don't have to give me money ever again, okay? Because when I was at the grocery store, I realized I could just take this and no one would know. My dad looked at me and said, Dad, son, that's called stealing. That's a sin. And who taught me that at the age of five? I had, no one taught me how to steal. But we are born in sin. That's what King David would say in Psalm 51. It's the reality of every person, and Paul tells them, all of us are under sin. It is our master. And Paul will go on to say, if you keep looking in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, that none is righteous. No, not one, he says, no one understands no one seeks for God all have turned aside together they have become worthless no one does good not even one there's no one that is good there's no one righteous no one meets the requirements that God demands. God is perfect without sin, without blemish. No one 
is at that level. He says that no one understands. There's this spiritual ignorance that we have. Paul would say it this way, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Each and every one of us, that is our human state, our natural state, spiritual ignorance. We don't understand. No one seeks God. There's godlessness. And then notice what he says, all have turned aside. Every one of us, we have gone our own way. I remember reading about a man who at his funeral, he wanted the song to be played by Sinatra, I Did It My Way. And that describes the natural state of every man and woman. None righteous, spiritually ignorant, no one seeking after God, all turning to our our own way. We want to do it our way. And in in Romans 3, in Romans 4, Paul has been building this argument and that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. But there were some that were probably listening to this letter that Paul wrote. And he, Paul had worked so much with Pharisees and religious people. And he knew what they would be thinking. Because I'm sure that there were many that say, well, but I'm a good person. Man, I follow the rules. I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice girl. I'm really not that bad. I'm not as so bad as those people. I abide by the law of God. And look at what Paul tells them in Romans 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. Your works are not going to do it. Well, I, I go to church, and I'm a, I'm a morally person, and I've been faithful to my spouse, and whatever it means, I don't cheat my, my work, whatever, whatever you want to say. And, and Paul says it so clearly that by works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight of God, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. James tells us in James chapter 2, verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Does not matter if you kept the law perfectly, the law is not what's going to justify you. God demands perfection. Man, is there any hope for humanity? Some of you are like, man, I was hoping to come to church for a cheerful Sunday. And here this guy is telling me is there's not a ton of hope for us. We go back to that original question. How can men and women be made right before a holy God? How can we be justified and cleared from our sin? How can we have right standing? 
let's consider this morning, what options does God have? Let me give you three options. First option is God could condemn sinners. God just says, hey, I'm holy, and you are not, and therefore, you deserve judgment. But what does that leave us? That leaves us in a pretty hopeless situation. God could do that, just condemn us because we are sinners to receive his judgment. But the second option is God could accept sinners just as they are. God could just say, well, listen, I'm just not going to deal with your sin. I'm just going to look the other way. All right, let's just forget about it. Let's not deal with it. But the problem with that option is how can God be a good and just God and not punish sin? How could he be trusted if he did that? If God were to do that, just look the other way against sinners, then that would compromise his character. How could he be good? How could he be just if he doesn't deal with sin? But the third option is that God could intervene on behalf of sinners by changing their guilty status. And that is exactly what has occurred in the gospel of Jesus Christ, is God has intervened on our behalf. Let's move to truth number two is the essence of justification by faith. Men and women are in a desperate and helpless situation as a result of their sin. As we saw in Exodus 34, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. He must must bring a charge against sin. And we see that we have a great need. But we have a great Christ to meet our need. See, God has provided the righteousness that we need through his son, Jesus. God, who is rich in mercy, he sends his son who lives the perfect life, the life that we could not live. And it's at the cross that he absorbs the full wrath of God to pay for sin. And it's there at the cross where mercy and justice meet. Where we see God's justice against his only son as Jesus bears the consequences of every poor and evil decision that you made. And we see God's mercy and we see his justice as he pours it out on his son. Jesus is crucified and beaten and mocked. He's buried, but on the third day he raises, he's raised again. 
See, church, what the doctrine of justification by faith is teaching us is that we needed an alien righteousness. We needed something outside of ourselves. We could not fix our broken and sinful state. We needed someone to step in. And let's look at Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that word justification, it is a legal term. And what it means is to announce a favorable verdict. It means to be declared righteous. It is the direct opposite of condemnation. What justification is, is Christ's righteousness is being imputed to us, given to us by faith. Not by works that we did to achieve it, but simply by faith. And what Paul is going to do is reference the example of Abraham. We are introduced to Abraham in Genesis 11 and 12, and we see that God chooses Abraham. He says, hey, I'm going to bless you. I want to use you. And look at what he says in Genesis 12, verse 3. God tells him, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And if you look at Genesis 15, God tells Abraham, Abraham, look toward heaven. And number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. We read in Genesis 15 that Abraham, he believed the Lord. He believed what God said, and he counted it to him as righteousness. It wasn't because of the goodness of Abraham. It wasn't because of all the good deeds that Abraham did. Abraham believed God's promise. And the Bible says that because of his belief, because of his faith, he credited it to him as righteousness. And that is exactly what is the reality for every Christian? How can we be justified? How can we be declared righteous? Is it a result of our good works or what we brought to the table? No, we are justified by faith alone. Believing in the finished work of Christ at the cross, his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, putting our hope and our faith in that that is what justifies us. That is what declares us righteous. The Bible gives several metaphors of justification in the Bible. And if you are a Christian, it is so important that you grasp these truths. The first picture or metaphor that we see in the Bible for justification is a legal term. Anybody ever been in a courtroom? Picture this scene. 
you are on trial in the courtroom of heaven. And there you are, Christian, standing before the king of the universe, standing before your creator, and God pulls out a book. And in this book has a list of every sin that you have ever committed. Every evil thought that you ever had. Every evil things you did with your hand. Every evil thing that came from your mouth is in this book. And you know what? You are guilty. But you know what, Christian? Sitting next to you is your advocate. It is Jesus. And God sees all of your sin in your book. And he looks at his perfect son. And he imputes the righteousness of Jesus to you by faith. And you know what the verdict is after that? You are declared righteous, innocent. Isn't that good? Final. The judge of the universe says, I've declared you righteous. I've declared you innocent as a result of not your doing, but the righteousness of Christ. Amen? But here's a second metaphor I'll, I'll give you. The second is financial. Picture yourself at the bank, and the book comes out, and it has all of the documents of your debt, and you are bankrupt. You have no other resources. You're backed up your bills. And there, standing next to you, is your advocate, Jesus. He transfers all of his righteousness to your account. You go from rags to riches. Listen to what Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, God, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A transfer has taken place through faith where not only has Jesus paid for our sins, 
but he gives you his righteousness, declares you righteous. Not on the grounds of your good works or your ability to keep the law, but because of faith in Christ. Jesus did what we could not do. And look at the result. This is the the third truth. The result of justification is peace with God. Look what Romans 5 tells us. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That we were, dude, we were separated from him. We could not have access to him. We didn't have a relationship to him. But now through faith, we've been declared righteous. Been granted peace with the Father, the King of the universe. And not only has peace been restored, but we now have access to him. The writer of Hebrews tells us that because of the finished work of Christ, we can now come before his throne with confidence because our debt has been paid. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. Amen? So let me close. How does this doctrine play itself out in your life tomorrow? How is this doctrine, this truth, this reality, why is it so important for you to understand this? Growing up, I grew up in a Christian home, and I I believe that I embraced the gospel at a very young age, probably the age of five or six. I believed the basic truth that I was a sinner, and Jesus died the death that I deserved. I believed that at a young age. And I hope that all the children in the room, that that you believe that that you are a sinner, you are in a great need of a savior, and Jesus has died the death that you deserved. And if you, by faith, will believe that, you will be saved. But I, I think somewhere in my Christian faith, I missed the doctrine of justification. I don't think I understood it until I was about 21 years of age. And I imagine that there are many of you that might be in the same situation. And here's how you know you have missed the doctrine of justification. Here you are living your Christian life, and man, you are, you're being a pretty good person. You're reading your Bible, and man, you're, you're, you're avoiding sin, and man, so you and God, y'all are like this, Right? And the moment that you stop reading your Bible or maybe you, you start sinning, you feel like you've kind of lost it. Because essentially maybe what, what you have convinced yourself to think is your acceptance of God by God is based on your ability to perform. 
I wonder if there's some of you maybe who feel that. Man, well, I'm, I've, been do, I've been doing good, so me and God are tired. But the moment that, that you sin or you fail and you, you feel like that relationship has been broken, see, that is a misunderstanding of what justification is. Is because justification does not come to you in degrees or levels where God just gives you some of his justification, but he holds some of it back. See, sanctification, that's a different doctrine. It does come in degrees. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus. That's a sermon for another day. But justification is given to you completely once and for all. The moment that you repented of your sins and you cried out to Jesus, Jesus, I believe in what you have done on the cross, that you died in my place, and that was a sincere act of faith. In that moment, you were justified. God declared you righteous as though your sin had never occurred. Your righteousness, it was Jesus' righteousness was passed to you, and it was final. All the sin, friend, that you committed as a little seven-year-old boy or girl, all the sin that you committed, in tw- you were 22 years of age in college, all the sin that you committed yesterday, and all the sin that you will commit as a 70-year-old, it was paid for once and for all, and it was justified through faith in Christ. This is so important because Satan is referred to as the accuser of the brethren. He accuses you. Have you ever felt shame or guilt because of your past sin? I have. And what Satan the accuser does is he says, do you remember when you did that? you remember when you said that? You were guilty. You are guilty. And what the doctrine of justification reminds us, it says, I am guilty, but Jesus paid for it. And by faith, I have been declared righteous. I have been made right. Isn't that good news? We sing a song that is such filled with amazing truth. Listen to these words as we close. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there, Jesus who made an end for all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free where God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great reminder from your word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God. What a powerful truth. Oh, God, would that just stir our hearts this morning?
Lord, would you free us from callousness and a, a hardened heart? Would that just stir in us great love and affection, the reality that we are saved, that we are pardoned, not a result of our works, not a result of our ability to get it right, but we are justified because of the finished work of Christ at the cross by faith. Oh Lord, you help that truth to sink deep into our hearts. And we pray so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.